the title of our sermon is in the, called In the Belly of Betrayal. John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. The New York Times reports it this way. The afternoon before his family fled the onslaught of Sunni militants, Dakil Habash was visited by three of his Arab friends and neighbors. He says, over tea, his trusted friend, Matul Mare, told him not to worry about the advancing ISIS fighters, promising him that no harm would come to him or his Yazidi people. These two men have formed a bond over the years. They had helped one another. Mr. Mari brought supplies to Mr. Habash's community, and he also purchased tomatoes and watermelon from Mr. Habash's farm. As a matter of fact, even sometimes Mr. Mari felt the friendship was so close that he could borrow money from Mr. Habash. However, When Mr. Mari told Mr. Habash that everything would be okay, it didn't sit right with him, despite his assurances. That night, he gathered his family, and he fled their community, their village. Soon afterwards, he found out that Mr. Mari had joined the militants. He was helping them hunt down. Yazidi families such as Mr. Habash's. Mr. Habash recounts this and he says, Our Arab neighbors turned on all of us. And from a refugee camp, he says, We feel absolutely betrayed. They were our friends. They were people that we trusted in. There's a study that's come out a few years ago that shows since the 1960s there has been a drastic erosion of trust. The 1960s, people generally trusted others socially and friendships or whatever relationship they have. However, by the 1990s, people were finding it more and more difficult to open their hearts up to others, to trust, and to rely on others, and it has only declined since. Maybe today, you and I find ourselves in this category. Whatever our situation, maybe it was like Mr. Habash's. Maybe you not only opened up your home, but you opened up your heart to someone. And because you did that, the wound of their betrayal was that much more deeper. And that, those words can kind of ring through our heads. They were our friends, or they were, go ahead and fill in the blank. And just like that, one day, this individual turned against you. 
Maybe it wasn't as bad as a full-out betrayal, but maybe you opened up your heart to someone in your life and you've been deeply hurt by them. The wounds that cut the deepest are most often by those who are the closest. And maybe, maybe this has made you, rightfully so, want to close up, right? Forget it. I'm not going to enjoy relationships anymore. I'm not going to open up my heart to anyone. Not share yourself with anyone. And maybe you feel that no one understands what you've experienced. Maybe you can't share that experience with people. Folks, as we look at our passage today and as we look at this theme of discipleship and imitation, it's important for us to know something. It's important for us to know that the one that we follow, the one that we call our Lord and Savior, was human just like you and me. And it's important to know as him being 100% man, he knew emotions He knew deep emotions, and he knew what it meant to be betrayed. He knew what it meant to be hurt by a close friend. Today we're going to dive into the belly of betrayal, and though it's dark, I think we're going to see some light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to look at two chambers as we dive in here. The first one is... Betrayal hurts deeply, verses 21 through 25. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at another, at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And the one leaning back said to Jesus, Lord, who is it? There's a study that reveals when you and I experience relational hurts, when we experience emotional pain, uh, we use words like, he or she hurt my feelings, right? Or they broke my heart. Or it felt like I was just punched in the gut. Researcher and neuroscientist Matthew D. Lieberman thought that this was just way too coincidental, So we actually set out to study the pain of emotional pain, or social rejection particularly. One of his studies involved putting people in a brain scanner while they played an internet video game called Cyberball. So he sets up and there's two computer people, and then there's the guy who comes in and joins in the Cyberball experiment. So they're all three at the beginning are tossing the ball to one another. You remember doing that as a kid, right? You know, just sitting around tossing the ball. So all three are tossing the ball together, but then the the program is designed so that the two computer people just leave out the third guy. 
right? And you remember that too as a kid, right? And then they start tossing the ball uh, to them. And, and the guy says this, even though it, it's a silly game in a research study and has absolutely no bearing on real life, the subject showed real hurt. They actually started feeling distressed. They felt rejected. When they came out of the scanner, the one who was left out of the game actually began to talk about being rejected and trying to process that rejection. To the brain, he concludes, social pain feels a lot like physical pain. A broken heart feels like a broken leg and so on and so on. And he says, looking at the brain scans side by side without being told which one was emotional pain and which one was physical pain, you can't tell the difference. I remember playing a game as, as a kid when I was young. It's kind of a foolish game. We actually would go on a hill and someone would lay back on a hill and they would prop their feet up and then you would then sit on their feet, so you're ready like four feet in the air on the hill, and then you sit on their feet, and they would launch you off, right? It's a great idea until, yeah, I don't know, no name of the game except dumb. I think that's the name of the game, kids being idiots. And then it's a great idea until you're in the air, and you're realizing, I'm not going to land on my feet, right? Because the momentum, so there I go, land a square on my back, and for the first time in my life, I experienced what it was like to get the wind knocked out of me. Very, very scary, very, very painful. And that is exactly the pain and emotion that Jesus is feeling right now. It's like Jesus got punched in the gut. Jesus got the wind knocked out of him. He says, John tells us, when he said this, he became troubled in his spirit. Jesus is experiencing an emotional pain in these opening verses. And as, according to our illustration, our brains can't really tell the difference. Jesus said previously, relating back to Psalm 49, 1, He says, the one who I've eaten bread with has lifted their heels against me. Well, those heels have now kicked back and, and kicked Jesus in the gut. And that reference in Psalm 49.1 was to definitely David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel, but also we need to remember it wasn't just his trusted advisor, it was his son, Absalom. Two individuals that David trusted in, two individuals that David had this close fellowship with, one being his, his very own family member, his very own son, turned against him. And what is interesting in the story of Ahithophel is that later on, he goes ahead and hanged himself just like Judas does. Jesus refers to the breaking of bread together. Even the Urban Dictionary gets it right. To break bread is to affirm trust, confidence, and comfort with an individual or a group of people. It has a notation of friendliness and informality. Because Jesus knows what is going to happen, his soul is having a riot within him. And it is interesting in this, the way that his soul is troubled. It is not himself stirring his soul up. 
It is done by an outside force, Judas, the one who is about to betray him. Yes, Jesus is thinking about where this betrayal is going to lead, but he is also being hurt by someone who turns against him within his own fellowship. And I started thinking about this this week. And it's an aspect of Christ that I just, I I tend to forget a lot. Even though Jesus saw this coming, he still feels the pain of it. And then I started wondering, why why does John include this? Because this is John who's writing this part about his soul being deeply troubled. What? Why is this here? Why didn't he just get to what Jesus is going to say? But he prefaces what Jesus is going to say with this notion of him being deeply upset about it. And how does John know? I'm thinking Jesus must have told him. Or maybe, maybe John, and this is speculation, maybe John sees it all over his face. Maybe he's sitting next to Jesus and he says, this, Jesus is really bothered by something. Jesus is really hurt by something. Jesus is really upset. And I go back to him preparing us for what is going to happen in our fellowship, possibly, that people may turn against us and may betray us. And I see this as further preparation that Yes, they're going to do this, and guess what? It's going to hurt really, really bad. It's going to hurt. And when people are going to turn against you in your life, it's going to hurt. You're going to feel a pain. It's going to be a deep pain. But he wants you to know he knows exactly what you're going through. When you and I are hurting emotionally, how comforting is it when we can talk to someone and they can, they can sit down with us and they can say to us, I understand. I know exactly what it is you're going through. Matter of fact, I've been there. I had that happen this past week. Uh, someone gave me a call been worried about different things, and and they just said, I know how hard it is when you're going through stuff like that and you're in the position that you're in. And they didn't fix it, but that alone brought comfort. Saying that to me comforted me because it just made me realize I'm not alone. But many, many times though, right, sometimes not everyone's going to understand, and that's when it becomes hard. Or, or maybe we can't share the pain that you and I are experiencing, and we have to keep that to ourselves. Well, guess what? There is someone who understands. His name is Jesus Christ because he felt that pain. And he felt it very, 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 very deeply. Jesus had emotions. 
He had feelings, and right now those feelings are being hurt by someone who is close to him. I want us to see also that it's not just pain for Jesus, but it's pain for his disciples. It's one thing to be ready when you know a punch is coming. It's a completely uh, different thing when that comes out of the blue, isn't it? It's one thing to know it's coming from someone who's far away from you or someone who's coming towards you and you see that. It's another thing when it's the person standing right next to you. The disciples are at a loss. Guess what? They had no, IP. They had no clue. No clue. They didn't see it coming. That's why Peter turns to John and he says, hey, figure this out. Who could this be? There was no inclination that it was Judas. And that's the punch, that's the kick that sometimes hurts the most. It's unexpected. It's out of the blue. Jesus might have known. I mean, Jesus knew. The disciples didn't. The response by the disciples in the question of identity reveals that they just had no idea. And, and, and I think we have to remember something about Judas here as we, we look at, at Judas, right? Judas was a trusted leader in this group. He was a trusted leader in this early church, so to speak. He was trusted. He was trusted so much, he was given the responsibility of handling the money. Because when he's sent out, that's exactly what the disciples think he's going to do. Oh, Judas, good Judas, he's just going ahead and serving. He's just going ahead and doing his job. And it hurts when it's unexpected, and it hurts even more from individuals that we've placed our trust and our confidence in. It's one of my greatest fears about being a pastor. I'll, I'll be really honest with you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to break that trust. I don't want to mess up like that. It's, it's scary. Those who were in a relationship with, the person that's standing right next to you, the one that you think you're pulling alongside, the one that you think that you're working together for, for the gospel, for the, for the mission of Jesus Christ, turns and then sticks a knife in your back. understandable the pain that we would feel even more so when it comes from a leader that we respected one that we've trusted and we see it happening all over the place I, I'll be honest with you I, I know I mentioned uh, the story of Ravi Zacharias before but this is exactly how I felt exactly how I felt and I didn't even know the guy when I heard that news, I felt betrayed. He was someone I looked up to, someone I emulated. I, wanted, I applied at a job early on in my life because I, I just wanted to be like that guy. 
thinking that, oh, there he is preaching the gospel and, and doing the work of the Lord. And all of a sudden, can you, if I felt that way, how did his family feel? You think they're going to open up to people? How about those that he worked with who, who confided in him, who trusted in him? People felt betrayed, and rightfully so. And we can sit in that pain. We can sit in that hurt. And it won't get better. Or we can realize that we have someone who understands it. Brings us to our next part. Betrayal is chosen freely. Verses 26 through 30. Jesus answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said these things to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. I'm sure we remember hurting people as a child. I have a lot of regrets for the people that I heard as a child. As a matter of fact, I, when I became a Christian, I went back home and apologized to a boy on my street because of all the times that I, that I, heard it, that I hurt that individual. Now, a guy tells a story about that. He says, when I finished sixth grade, my family moved to a new town. He says, I started junior high that fall. I suddenly found myself in a school that I didn't know in a town that I didn't know with people that I didn't know. I felt very alone. Nobody knew me. Nobody wanted to talk to me. Each day I would walk home alone wondering, is there a friend for me here? Then one day, a kid named Earl invited me to his house after school. He said, I jumped at the opportunity. He said, Earl was kind of like the other kids, but he had shiny hair or greasy hair. He wasn't particularly concerned about personal hygiene. Who is at that age, right? I mean, come on. Near his house was a parking lot, he said, where the electric company had parked its trucks and heavy equipment. Earl knew how to sneak in there. So we clambered all over the big rigs and augers and had a lot of fun. Over the next couple of months, Earl and I began to build a friendship. He said, a few months later, after sizing up this seventh grade classroom, I made an important realization. He said, the kids who seemed to be most popular, the ones who were really good at sports, the ones who had the best clothes, the ones whom the girls whispered about and blushed over, guess what? Not Earl. They were actually two guys named Mike and Eddie. 
So when Mike and Eddie finally invited me over to their house, I was absolutely exhilarated. This was my ticket to the big time, my ticket to popularity. But I had one problem. Wherever Mike and Eddie were, Earl was not. And wherever Earl was, Mike and Eddie were definitely not. If I was going to hang out with Mike and Eddie, well, I could not be seen with Earl. I knew it. I knew it. I had a decision to make. So, went with Mike and Eddie. Went over to their houses, struck up a friendship with them, and I became one of those popular kids. Earl called me up. Kept putting them off. Kept telling them I was busy. He says, all those years since that time, there's still a shame that hangs around that betrayal, because that's exactly what it was. I betrayed Earl. I handed him another rejection in his life when he probably had so many, but I wanted something. I wanted to be in. I wanted to be popular, and if I had to hurt him to get that, I would do that. And he says this, that is the very essence of betrayal. I am willing to hurt you to get something for myself. It is freely chosen. We look at our choices before us and we say, this is so much better for me I'm going to take this now, I'm going to do this now, and I don't care what happens to you. For Judas, it was money. For this kid, it was popularity. You name it, we choose it, it's sin, and it hurts. And it is the free choice of it that makes it feel that much more painful It is because we choose it and we hurt people in that process by doing so. There are many, many, many internal and external influences. That does not negate the fact that it's a free choice. It's not an uninfluenced choice. No, as a matter of fact, it's very much so. But it's still a choice. We choose to sin. We choose to turn our backs on God. We choose to hurt others. We choose to make one decision and choose this because it's better for us at the time, no matter what the consequences are to others and to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Three factors are always influencing us, the world, Satan, and the flesh. Always present. Always wanting us to deny. Always wanting us to betray. Always wanting us to sin. And I'll tell you what, folks. It's getting harder and harder, isn't it? We are being forced. We are being coerced. We are being pressured to betray Jesus Christ. 
by these three factors. We see it all over the place. And maybe it's not an outright denial of Jesus, but it's a denial of what Jesus says. What he says is holy. What he says is good. What he says is pure. What he says is sin. And all of these pressures are going to come together on us, and, but it doesn't negate the fact that you and I have a choice to make a stand. We have a choice just like Judas. And Satan knows our weak spots, doesn't he? Didn't he know Judas's weak spot? Yeah. What was it? Money. Money. Judas betrays the Son of God to the most horrendous death for a few pieces of silver. And we say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Not for money. That's foolish. But maybe we'll do it for our comfort. Maybe we'll do it for our popularity. Turning our backs on Jesus and turning our backs on those we love and hurting them very, very deeply with that choice. It's a rejection. Judas rejects the fellowship and the grace of Jesus Christ and he walks out into a pitch black night all alone. You know, I'm, I'm going through this sermon. And this is bad enough, right? This is bad enough. To know that our Lord and Savior is suffering in this way, even before He's about to suffer physically, He's suffering emotionally. And we see that emotional suffering really come to a climax in the garden. And I'm thinking about Judas, and then... And then you have to say to our, you have to remind yourself, like, guess what? It wasn't just Judas, was it? It wasn't. Because later on, it's going to be someone even closer to him. It's not going to be once, it's not going to be twice, it's going to be three times. where Peter denies his friend, his Lord and Savior, because he's afraid of the repercussions from a servant girl. Peter, the one who said he would go to death with him, the one who was so passionate, the one who was so strong, crumbled underneath the pressure. But Peter's different from Judas, isn't he? Because Peter stays connected to Jesus Christ. And he receives the grace and forgiveness that we all need when we make decisions like that. What a picture that John paints here. Takes the morsel. The craziest thing about this is that as Judas is going to 
betray Jesus, he's obeying him at the same time. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. And do it quickly. Folks, I don't know where you're at at that in this place. But maybe you're thinking about walking out that door. Don't do that. Because for Judas, walking out that door wasn't just walking out into a night of darkness. It was walking out into eternal darkness. Don't leave the grace. Don't leave the fellowship of Jesus Christ for a few pieces of silver. It's just not worth it. Light and darkness, imagery that have been used throughout this gospel and imagery that lets us know that it's a constant choice before us. We choose to get up. We choose to leave the room. We choose to betray. We choose to sin. And it's that choice that makes the betrayal hurt all the more. He went out, and immediately, he went out immediately, and it was night, darkness, all alone, leaving the fellowship and grace of Jesus and of his friends, and causing a pain in himself that he never recovered from. What do we do? when this happens to us? What's the answer? I hope that we can see. We can take our pain to Jesus when those we love choose to betray us. Two reasons, actually, maybe even three. Jesus understands it, doesn't he? I mean, here we see plain and simple that Jesus is experiencing the emotions of this. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. That someone that we have trusted, someone that we had fellowship with, maybe someone that we were in such a close relationship who did what they did and did what they did freely, knowing that you and I can take that pain to someone who has gone through such a similar circumstance brings us comfort, doesn't it? Knowing that no matter what it is you're feeling, and if you can't share those feelings with others, He knows. He knows. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what it means to be handed over. He knows what it means to be left by his friends. He understands. There's a great campaign going out right now about Jesus, and it's three words. He gets us. I don't know everything about it, but I know I agree with that. He understands us because he was made just like us. But not only does he understand it, it is only in him that you can find healing for that pain. It's only in him that you can find healing for that pain. Because he understands it, because he knows what it's like, but because also his betrayal led to what? His death 
on a cross for you and for me. And because of that, the forgiveness that you and I have received, you and I can offer to those who have betrayed us, can't we? That's what it's all about. And maybe you're someone who actually did this to someone else. Don't continue to walk out like Judas did. Turn back. Because it's in the cross. It's at the cross. It's in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that you can find forgiveness and healing for your sin. His betrayal led to his death. His death led to his resurrection. The hope that we have for all of our broken relationships when we bring that pain to him and find healing, grace, forgiveness, and love. That's why we do what we're going to do here today. A reminder A reminder that you and I can find healing for our own hurts, our own suffering, knowing we have someone who understands that. And a reminder that the grace and forgiveness that has been offered to us on the cross can be offered to those who sin against us in such a fashion. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, as we, as we celebrate Jesus' death that began and was because of this betrayal, I pray that each one can find healing for all the hurts that they have experienced. And the grace and forgiveness and the love that we find at the cross, that we can offer that to those who have turned against us. You are so good, Lord. We're so thankful for what Jesus has done. And we're thankful that we have someone who can sympathize and empathize with all of our emotions. We love you and we praise you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.